And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is the travel show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. And that's a conversation that you can get in on. We've actually had guests on the show who come on to ask questions or who are travel experts themselves. You can email me at fromertravelshow at yahoo.com. Also, even if you don't want to be on the show, we hope you'll visit us during the week. You can do that by picking up a Fromer guidebook wherever they're sold or by going to fromers.com, our website. It's a work of love. Uh, it t- covers travel. It covers history, culture, cuisine, you name it. It's a lot of fun to read. As well, we're on every form of social media out there, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, you name it. Just look for the name Fromers. Now, Regular listeners to the show will know that we've changed things up a bit. We are now devoting pretty much every hour to one expert uh, because we want to get their take on how they got into this wonderful industry, but also what they see as the future for travel. And boy, do we have the right guy to do that today. Our guest today is Peter Greenberg. You probably know his name because he's the travel editor for CBS News. He's also the host of a terrific series on PBS called The Travel Detective. Hey, Peter, we're honored to have you on. Thank you so much for being here. And honored right back at you. (laughs) Well, thanks. So... In the past couple of weeks, I've been speaking with a lot of travel writers, and they usually got into this industry because they wanted to hit the road and they had a love of exploring new destinations. And I know you have that, too, but you got into this a little differently than most travel writers, right? I did. My travel was covering wars and, and civil disturbances, different governments collapsing. I, was, I started my career very, very young um, as perhaps the youngest correspondent ever hired in the history of Newsweek, when Newsweek was really Newsweek, uh, and based in places like Houston, uh, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. But that was just the base. And what happened was I was the guy with the suitcase always in the trunk of my car because I was always racing somewhere to be at the first of the scene of something else. And it dawned on me very early on in my career that nobody was covering travel as news. Hmm. They were covering, you know, just the superficial aspects of a pretty beach or a happy couple on a cruise ship. And it, I realized that if I couldn't understand the process of travel, how could I ever report on it? And so in those days, using my access as a journalist at Newsweek, And in those days, I would remind everybody that based in Los Angeles, every major U.S. airline had a presence, had a had a publicity or PR presence in Los Angeles, if not based there, because you had Western Airlines and Continental Airlines and down in San Diego, you had PSA and News Air West. uh, And then all the other majors of American United, uh, TWA, they all had a major presence there. So using my access as a journalist, I thoroughly immersed myself 
in back of the house, right? Mm-hmm. And all the process of, so I trained as a, as, a, as a pilot. I am not a licensed pilot, but I have a huge amount of simulator training. Wow. I trained as a flight attendant, as a ramper, as a baggage <laughs> loader, um, you name it. I was there. Plus, I had one little extra added advantage, which I never knew I had until it happened. And that is a family advantage because my grandfather, who started out as a journalist and was one of the great star reporters for William Randolph Hearst, when he left the L.A. Examiner in 1939, he went to work for a guy as his number one assistant, a man by the name of Donald Douglas. And that's Douglas Aviation. Oh, Douglas wow. Aircraft. And and so when I was growing up, I grew up with every model airplane they ever made. <laughs> um, and by the time Newsweek sent me out to Los Angeles, my grandfather had, had passed away by two years. But when he left Douglas in 1961, he then became commissioner of a small little place called LAX. Oh, wow. And so by the time I got out there as this junior reporter for Newsweek, all the people who remembered me as little Peter from LAX were now running the airport. So I had unprecedented access when I needed to do a story. And that really helped a lot. And, and it allowed me to immerse myself in the process. I just got to interrupt now because dad, your start was Newsweek too. Very definitely, Pauline. I I, uh, published a magazine called Budget Travel, which was owned by Newsweek. I remember, I remember, I remember. But that was quite a bit now that it's no longer under the same auspices as it used to be. But, Dad, I I was going to the fact that you started as a uh, a desk assistant as at Newsweek when you were a teenager, right? That's right. I was an office boy at, <laughs> at Newsweek. I have fond <laughs> memories of that. So anyway, back to Peter's story. So you saw, and uh, you know, when people think of travel, they often think of it as a very happy, carefree activity that's somewhat frivolous, but you saw the business side of it, and it is one of the world's largest industries, correct? It's, it's, it's even bigger than that. It's the world's largest service industry. Huh. It's one out of every 10 jobs. Before the pandemic, it was one out of every five new jobs. Wow. Uh, it was about 11% of global GDP. And, and this, the most staggering statistic for me is that there are 93 countries out of the 196 that the UN counts 93 countries that depend almost entirely on travel and tourism for their economic growth. And without it, they almost have to fold up the tent. So after 9-11 or when the volcano erupted in 2010 or even before that, the recession in 2008 and now this situation, there are a lot of governments hanging in the balance because the revenue that they would normally expect to get has completely disappeared. So, Peter, how, how optimistic is their viewpoint? How, how well do they expect the future uh, to bode well for the airline industry? Well, the optimism is tempered, Arthur, by something else. Deep-seated emotional fear on a global level. You know, we, right before the pandemic, we had FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Now we have fear of going out. And there is real fear about how you're going to dip your toe back in the water. And so in the past, we could see travel as a very resilient industry after 9-11 and after the recession and again after the volcano and everything else. But now we're not bouncing back. We're going to inch back and we're going to get back. But we're going to do so in a different form because it's not just one region that's been affected. It's the entire world. And the real question is, which airline, you mentioned airlines, which airline wants to be bold 
and visionary in taking some risks uh, to let people know that they're going to give them their security blanket. Because hmm. after 9-11, we wanted our security blanket because we were worried about terrorism. So that, that was the birth of the TSA and enhanced security procedures at the airports and on airplanes. But right now, think about it. Everybody wants a guarantee, right? Businesses want a guarantee before they let their employees fly. Employees, whether it's for business or leisure, want a guarantee before they go anywhere. And individual countries, all 196, want a guarantee that I'm not going to be frothing at the mouth or glowing in the dark when I arrive. Yeah. And in the absence of widespread testing or a workable, scalable vaccine, it's a real crapshoot right now. It is. Uh, and let me just tell our listeners, we're speaking with Peter Greenberg, who's the travel editor for CBS News. He also is the host of The Travel Detective on PBS. We're doing this on June 10th because this show is pre-taped. At this time in uh, in the United States, there has been absolutely no leadership from the Trump administration to the airline industry to put out regulations or, or right. blanket expectations. Is that part of the problem? It is the biggest part of the problem because it goes back to testing. Uh, you know, if you take a look at what the CDC is doing, and that's about as close as you're going to get to leadership, uh, their protocols that they've issued to 50 states, as I'm speaking to you today on June 10th, 28 states have just ignored it. Hmm. So we're not the United States of America. We become the fractured states of America. Everybody's acting in their own self-interest and maybe it's to their own detriment by trying to balance the, the, the almost impossible to balance, which is saving the economy and saving the health. And, right. you know, and, and it's, it's, it's a very diffi difficult balancing act. Almost well, impossible. Yeah. And back to the airlines. Right now, we know that Delta has promised that they will not sell middle seats until the end of September. But United won't make that promise. And well, will, and it's all it's all so haphazard. Well, it's worse than that. Let's get down to the actual details here. Social distancing and an airline cabin are mutually exclusive by from day one. Hmm. Right. Even if you get rid of the middle seat. The distance between me and you, me in the aisle, you in the window, is only 28 inches, not six feet. Right. And it's only 14 inches between me and the guy behind me who just sneezed. So for Delta, it's very easy for airlines when they're only operating at 22% load factors to say we're going to block the middle seat when the total load factor on the plane can only get as high as 60% with those middle seats blocked. But the reason why Delta Airlines picked September 30th as that date is not a coincidence. It's the same reason that the government gave the airlines till September 30th to make sure that all their employees stayed employed as part huh. of their bailout program. Oh. Yeah, here it comes. And mark my words, even if the industry gets back on its feet a little bit, the plans are already in place and the unions have already been notified that on October 1st, you're going to see over 13,000 pilots between American, United, Delta and Southwest fired. Oh, you know what? On that unhappy note, we have to take a commercial, but we're going to come back and dig deeper into what will be happening with the airline industry after these messages. Be right back.
Welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer, and our guest today is the prescient Peter Greenberg. He is the travel editor at CBS News. He also is the host of the terrific series, The Travel Detective on PBS. And we were just discussing what is going to happen to the travel industry, which sounds like it'll be mass firings. Uh, well, let me, if I can, let me, if I can, give you the bad, the really bad news first and then the good news, okay? okay? The really bad news is if you're in the commercial office real estate business, you're in trouble. If you're in the meetings and conventions business, you're in trouble. If you're in the cruise business right now, you already know you're in trouble. Oh, yeah. And that's going to be extending through January of next year. So if you're running the Javits Center here in New York or McCormick Place in Chicago or the LA Convention Center, you can go bowling in there now because nothing's getting booked. Uh, that, includes, that includes the big box convention and meetings hotels, you know, like the big New York Hilton or the Marriott Marquis, because they, can, they, they depend 85% of their business on meetings and conventions. Uh, then you have the other trickle-down problem, which may be a tumble-down problem, that it's not the brands that may be in trouble. It's the owners of those buildings. Huh. who cannot make debt service. People don't understand that Marriott, Hilton, and Hyatt, and Intercontinental, they only own maybe maybe 5% sure. of equity and maybe 5% of the buildings that they manage. So it's the owners who can't make debt service that may not reopen. So you have all those things already at play. And you have one more thing before I get to the good news. You have the airlines already publicly claiming that they're going to come back smaller mm-hmm. uh, because they don't have a choice right now. Uh, some of these airlines have been ab- have been hemorrhaging, you know, a hundred million dollars a day. Wow, um, it's it's crazy. Uh, now they've gotten that down. Now they're all you know. We, we, we in the old days we used to define a successful airline by which could lose money longer than the others. Uh, <laughs> we're back to that. We're back to that now. You know, whoever can lose less money stays. Uh, so that's all the bad news. Here's the good news. The good news is for those of us who can afford to travel. When this comes out, when this, you know, when we come out of this, our choices will be just as great because uh, the occupancies won't be high. The load factors won't be high. And at that point, the deals will be great. Ironically, the deals are not great now because I'm going to give you a figure that I'm not making up, Pauline. Okay. Three weeks ago, you know what the airfare was between Fort Lauderdale and Los Angeles, the one-way airfare on JetBlue? $150. You're not going to the Showcase Showdown. It was $12.89. <laughs> wow. Oh, my. Oh, my. And guess what? And guess what? It didn't, what? it didn't drive any traffic. Nobody filled the plane hmm. because nobody wanted to. Right. And the airlines learned that hard lesson that this time around, you're not going to be able to discount your way out of this. Hmm. So the airfares, as we're speaking right now, are just as high, if not higher, than they were before the pandemic. Where the deals are or for Thanksgiving and Christmas travel, because the airlines haven't been able to reset their algorithms to figure out anything about Uh future travel. And so they haven't priced it accordingly. And if you're smart, that's where you roll the dice and buy your airline tickets for what usually would be a high season ticket item for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Well, I know that the airline CEOs recently had meetings with their shareholders. And in discussing social distancing, they said pretty straight out that in order to accommodate that, they're going to have to cap the number of people on each plane and airfares could rise, according to the head of IATA, which is the International Air Transport Association, a good 50 percent. Oh, yeah. Well, for international travel, absolutely. And the reason for that is 
people who still need to get somewhere, uh, business travelers who still need to get to have that face-to-face meeting to close that deal. So in the short term, IATA is absolutely right. But at the same time, IATA also said that their airlines were going to lose about $100 billion. So how will they survive? They're not all going to survive. Which airlines should you be worried about booking in advance on because they might go belly up? Well, I got to get down to a definition of terms. Okay. There's a, and, and most people don't think they know this, the difference between operating in bankruptcy and liquidation. For an airline to file bankruptcy, we've already been there. Some airlines have not just filed Chapter 11, they filed Chapter 33. They've done it three times, huh. and they're still with us, right? right. American, United, they've all, they've all filed bankruptcy at least once, uh, but they never stopped operating. What we've seen now in certain countries is either a federal government bailout, like we just saw in Germany with Lufthansa. We're about to see it in South Africa. We're about to see it in Italy with Alitalia. Uh, we may see it in Australia with Virgin Australia, or we're seeing a complete liquidation, like you know, Wow Airlines in Iceland, which actually failed before the pandemic, right? Or or many other airlines that are on the verge right now. Uh, so. The real key is this. If you hear that your airline has has filed bankruptcy or has declared bankruptcy, it doesn't mean that your ticket is worthless and it doesn't mean you're not going to fly. It means that the the common shareholders might have gotten wiped out while they restructure. So I'm I'm less worried about that. But your original question is, you're right. We're going to see a lot fewer airlines internationally uh, that were not properly capitalized to begin with. We saw that right before the the pandemic struck with with the complete collapse of Thomas Cook in in, in the United Kingdom. Sure. Um, And that's going to continue because, remember, we're talking today on June 10th, and you're hearing that Greece is going to open, Italy is going to open, uh, France is going to open. Well, yeah, but they're still doing 14-day quarantines, which means for all intents and purposes, tourism as we know it does not exist because the only people who are going to be quarantining are the people returning home who actually live there not visitors. So we're still going to have to wait for this wave to happen. And just like the United States, it's every country for itself. So the good news is, think three months ahead. So we're talking August, September now. And that's when the great deals are going to be there. The world, barring another outbreak, is going to start, I mean, realistically opening, and you're going to get back to travel if you want to. Right. There are some countries who are giving a third way, though. It's not just quarantine. Some are saying if you could show a negative COVID-19 test, welcome. You know what? That's like security theater at the TSA. (laughs) I mean, I can test negative today and go out to the airport tomorrow and be asymptomatic, but have it. So there's no Jedi, there's no get out of jail free card right now because there's no test that's been proven absolutely reliable. The only thing they're trying to do is like the three hour test. Um, on the day that you're traveling. And that may have some, some, uh, some importance uh, if it's widespread in terms of its use and application and monitoring. Remember, this is a really, truly brave new world we're in right now. Uh, you've heard about travel bubbles, right? So that yeah. citizens in New Zealand can travel to Australia and vice versa. Or in Central Europe, they're trying that. Uh, Massachusetts may be try- to Vermont yeah. and New Hampshire. You know what? I'm looking at the clock. We have to take another quick break. That's but don't okay. turn that dial. We've been speaking with Peter Greenberg, who is the travel editor for CBS News, as well as the host of The Travel Detective on PBS. We will be right back.
Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my father, Arthur Frober, And I'm feeling like we should call it the non-travel show today because we've been talking with Peter Greenberg about quarantines and uh-huh. airlines going belly up. <laughs> and, and Pauline, can I, can I ask please. Peter one question? Do all the industry figures that you have interviewed share your concerns, your pessimistic concerns about what is in store for us uh, as passengers going on airplanes? Well, Arthur, I wouldn't define myself as having pessimistic concerns. I'm having, I think, pragmatic concerns. Uh, The numbers speak louder than anything. Uh, Now, remember, all those CEOs that you're mentioning, they've got shareholders to keep happy, and they want to keep their stock price from completely tanking. So... But I, I would actually tell you, on, on balance, most of these airline CEOs have been pretty transparent about what they're up against because they can't hide behind, behind uh, you know, quarterly earnings anymore. Uh, now, having said all that, I think, I think the three of us share one thing in common, if not many other things. We love to travel. It's not because we want to travel. We need to travel. We're going to get back out there. I'd be on a plane today. Um, I have no no fear whatsoever. I would have been on a plane six weeks ago. The only problem was I had nowhere to go. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but the minute I can go out, I'm going to travel. And now the really question becomes for everybody listening to the show. It's really not a question of whether you're going to travel or if you're going to travel or even when you're going to travel. It's really a question of how you're going to travel. Sure. And and my indications are that we're first going to like re, you know rekindle our love affair with our car or our SUV or our RV, and we're going to start taking you know dip our toe in the water and do like 100 mile trips from home and maybe a 300 mile trip from home, and then we might actually do a real road trip. Uh, and then if you take a look at the numbers, what's what's spiking right now? Recreational vehicle sales and recreational vehicle rentals. People look at them as sort of self-contained quarantine mobiles where they don't have to stay at a, re- at a hotel or eat out at a restaurant. They only stop for gas and groceries. And here's the best part of it, especially for you know people who, who publish guidebooks. I know who I'm talking to on this show. <laughs> yeah. It's an opportunity for everybody to rediscover America uh, because that's what we're going to be doing for the next six months, whether, whether we wanted to or not. Yeah, no, absolutely. We know that they're through the roof. The part of the problem is not all campgrounds have opened because in the in the seasonal parks, they usually house their workers in dormitories. Right. So they have less ability to reopen than than, than they should have due to this demand. So a lot of people with those RVs are going to find it difficult to find a place uh, to to hook up their lines it's gonna be well you know what you're right and you're you're gonna see a lot of rvs parked on small town roads and (laughs) and and small city streets for a while uh they may not have the wi-fi uh, that the campgrounds now offer but that's how they're going to get there now uh we're speaking with peter greenberg who is the travel editor for cbs news he's also the host of travel detective on pbs when we talked the other day in a quick pre-interview You told me that you think the way people pay for travel will also drastically be shifting. Can you explain that? I will. And this is truly a brave new world. Most of the people listening to this show includes me, may even include you. How do we pay for travel? We whip out our credit card. We use plastic. Uh, We don't even think about it. That's revolving credit. Or maybe we use a charge card, a traditional charge card like American Express. But most people are using revolving credit. What we're seeing now are huge numbers of defaults from Americans who literally can't pay their their credit card bills. And while the banks have given many people maybe a two or three month deferral, uh, that chicken is coming home to roost. 
And and the problem then becomes, what are the banks going to do? Because banks, after all, are banks, and they want to limit their risk and exposure. So what we're already seeing is that banks are either lowering existing credit lines, even for their better customers, or they're freezing or canceling accounts. So that when we turn the corner and start getting back out, and we're ready to go back out and go to a restaurant or go to Disney World or get on a plane and fly somewhere, we may not be able to have the financial tool to take out of our pocket to pay for it. So what I'm seeing about to happen is a change in the financial model of how we pay for travel. And so we're going to go back to the layaway plan for some, for some vendors, meaning a cruise line that says, okay, Pauline, you want to take this cruise, it's $3,000. Give us $100 now and $80 a month, and you know it'll, it'll come on on the ship. And, and, and so there'll be self-financing like you're buying a car, you know, uh, where, the, where the car dealer then sells it to a third party to basically process the transaction to make the car dealer whole, and then they take on the financial risk. But I don't necessarily think that for a lot of people, those credit cards are going to have the, the consumer spending power uh, that they once did, at least in the short term. But doesn't that involve a huge new infrastructure, one that uh, industries that are already suffering, how would they be able to create these layaway plans? Well, you're asking the $64,000 question, of which the $64,000 may not even be available. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But what I do know is that when I see those food lines at the food banks, yeah. and I see the cars parked for three miles waiting, I did, I, I, you know, I did the freeze frame on the video, and I counted. I didn't see a lot of 1974 Toyota Corollas in there. I saw Mercedes and BMWs and Audis and Volvos. Uh, so that, to me, is an indication of where our financial priorities are now in the short term. And it's food. It's not travel. As much as we want to travel. So it's, it's incumbent upon the industry to pivot in any way they can to do what? Give us the security and safety guarantees that we need, but also give us a financial promise that other people may not be able to give us right now. Yeah, it's definitely a brave new world uh, with the double whammy of the recession yeah. and what we're seeing in terms of the coronavirus. We have to take another quick break, but let me just quickly go back to where we are just so people tuning in know who we're talking to. We are talking to Peter Greenberg. He is the travel editor for the CBS News. He is also the host of a show called The Travel Detective on PBS. And we're going to discuss that show when we come back. So don't turn that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer. And when we started, I made the mention of the date that we're taping this, which is June 10th. However, when this airs, Peter, your new shows will be on TV, right? That's right. Uh, there's The Travel Detective Season 6 will be running. Uh, of course, I'm on CBS. That's that's a regular occurrence. And then there's another show that we've done. It's, it's premiering in July. Uh, it's an outgrowth of a show that we've done for 20 years called The Royal Tour with Heads of State. It's a new show called Hidden, and it's one destination, one country that we pick for an hour. And I take you on a tour of everything that's not in the brochure, not in the guidebooks that uh, is accessible to the audience. And I guess the, the mantra that we use uh, for determining where we go is three words, no gift shop. 
Um, and uh, travelers will know exactly what I'm talking about. And with all res- due respect to your guidebooks, which are great, you know what I'm saying. We want to be able to show well, people. Th- I, I, I always think that not in the guidebook is a bad cliche because our, our guidebooks are 300, 400 pages. I know. I didn't I just say with all due respect? Didn't I just say with all due respect? Didn't I just say like, bless your heart in the South, though. No. <laughs> but, but anyway, that, the, the first show that's going to air in July is called Hidden Poland. And uh, and it's it, it's it's an amazing piece because so, for so many of us, myself included, I grew up watching Poland on black and white TV during the Cold War, mm. and I thought everything was black and white in Poland and dreary and gloomy and bleak. And boy, w- w- were we surprised! I was surprised too. I I was in Poland tracing our heritage. My father and I went with my daughter to Wamja, which is outside Bialystok, and we were yeah. surprised by what a vibrant nation it is. But what's hidden there? What because and to me well, all of Poland. Pauline, is can, can I interrupt at this point yeah. on my own recent trip to Poland? Every single person on the plane that I was on was not a tourist, but rather was a citizen or resident of Poland. Uh, does this jibe with your own experience that the number of people going to Poland as tourists is severely limited, at least at, at present? Well, at present, you're right. Sure. Uh, but when we went to shoot this, no, we, we had a lot of people who were coming, but not just Americans. Uh, people, as you were doing, uh, Pauline, you know, tracing their heritage and, and walking that path. But to give you an idea of what we're talking about, I'll, I'll give you the big tease of the show. I literally crossed Poland by boat over land. Digest that for a minute. Right, digest that for a minute. I know, that's pretty hidden. Um, I, believe it or not, at the turn of the last century, they wanted to be able to transport goods from one side of the, of the country to the other. And, there are, and what they did was they created a, a series of railroad tracks, literally railroad tracks, into different bodies of water. So basically... You're on a train track crossing Poland, stopping every so often to float. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And, and, it's still, and it's still operating today with the original technology, the original steam technology. It's amazing. I took a, a train all the way across Poland, and I think it was also operating with the original technology, which was not a good thing. <laughs> I know. Tra- <laughs> the trains were pretty rinky-dink, but anyway. Uh, absolutely. Um, We're speaking with Peter Greenberg, who is the host of Hidden Poland, which we've been hearing about. Also, the travel editor for CBS News. Do you go to the main sites in Poland on the show? Warsaw, Gdansk? Oh, yeah. We we do that. But, for example, if I was going to do a story called Hidden Paris, the last thing you'd expect me to show you is the Eiffel Tower. However, what if I could tell you I know the guy who goes in there at 8 o'clock at night and lights it up and you can go in there with him that becomes part of a hidden Paris. So, yes, we were in all the major cities um, and some of the minor ones, but we went all the way up to the Baltic to, to you, know, you mentioned Gdansk and, Gdin- and Gdynia uh-huh. um, and amazing stuff that most people don't get a chance to see because they don't get out of the, of the major cities. Uh, of course, we do Warsaw. Of course, we do Krakow and, and, and Rotslav. And, and I don't have to learn how to pronounce these, as you can see. Uh, <laughs> but the, the bottom line is, Everything has to be accessible to our audience, and and then we get a chance to shoot it. And if people want to see this, I know PBS can be tricky because it's, yes. it's shows are on different times. What's the best way to find when this is airing? 
Well, we, re- we recognize that. You should check with your local uh, PBS station. And if for any reason they're not carrying it, it's available, believe it or not, on Amazon Prime. And it's available, uh, it'll be available online probably in about a year. So we're, we're making it available. Now, I just want, we have about a minute left in this segment. I just want to go back to the airlines for one qu- quick yeah. question. Are we going to lose a lot of smaller airports? Is it going to be harder to get to the more obscure parts of the United States? The answer in the short term is yes, because under the airline bailout program for the feds, the Department of Transportation is allowing airlines to drop secondary and tertiary cities in a state where they they already fly to one. So, for example, American Airlines just pulled out of Oakland, California, and they were allowed to do so because they also fly to San Jose, San Francisco and L.A. Uh, So you're going to start seeing that. Uh, it's, It's pretty sad. We haven't seen a lot of it yet. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit more. Yes. Yeah. No, it's something to to watch out for, especially we all have to travel nowadays because our family lives in different parts of the world. Sure. Maybe more difficult. Okay. On that note, we have to take one last break, but we will finish up this hour with Peter Greenberg after these messages. You are listening to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my father, Arthur Fromer, and our guest today is Peter Greenberg. He is the travel editor for CBS News. He also hosts a show on PBS, a terrific show called The Travel Detective. And Peter, we've been we've been telling people about this brave new world we're in, and some of it is negative. I've been asking every travel expert we've had on the show in the last couple of weeks a, to look forward in a positive way yeah. or, or to say, why do you think travel is important? Why do you think this industry will last? Or do you? I, you don't have to be positive. Well, I will be positive. Uh, beware the unintended consequences of COVID-19. Huh. I cannot wait to go to Paris right now, where my good friend Elaine Chilino from the New York Times called me the other day to tell me that she could see all the way to the bottom of the Seine. It was clear. Mm, wow. Um, uh, uh, my wife is Turkish. and her family sent her pictures of dolphins in the Bosphorus. Mm. Um, I mean, unheard of in Istanbul. Yeah. Uh, look at look at Venice. Um, you know, there's an opportunity here because think about this. What were we talking about four months ago? Over tourism. Yeah. Now we get we get a do over. Now we get a chance to be responsible in a sustainable way. Uh, and making an experience even better for ourselves by going about it a better way. So I think there are an opportunity. There are so many opportunities here for us to readdress not our need for travel. That's not going anywhere. We're it's staying. It's right. propelling us. But it's a different way of how we're going to travel and how we're going to pay attention. The other thing is this. You know, my whole uh, mantra is really to, to, to focus on the process of travel so that you can enjoy the experience. Well, interestingly enough. Uh, the marketing playbook of the travel industry had to be thrown out because of mm-hmm. COVID-19. They're less, they're, they're less likely now to promote the thread count on their sheets. Right. Uh, versus, thank goodness. Yeah, thank goodness. Versus, you know, the hazmat team that was in my room last night to make sure it was going to be perfect for me. <laughs> right. And, and you know what? It makes you want to ask the question, where was the hazmat team before COVID-19? Right? Isn't it nice that they're actually really cleaning the rooms now? Uh, so that's a, that's a positive, actually. 
Yeah, no, that's absolutely a positive. All right. Well, we have been speaking with Peter Greenberg, who is the travel editor for CBS News. He also has a terrific show. New episodes are airing right now of The Travel Detective on PBS. Also look out for Hidden Poland. And let me just end the show with a plug for us. Visit us visit us. You can do so on the web. Our address is our name. If you look for www.frommers.com, you've come to the right place. As well, we want to support bookstores all around the United States. They're incredible community uh, heartbeats. They're reopening now. They've had a rough time. So go to a local bookstore, buy a novel, buy a great work of history, buy a firmware travel guide, maybe just for the fun of it. Even if you're not traveling, they're lots of fun to read. Uh, They talk about cuisine. They talk about culture and history and more. And we always end this show with... By uh, wishing you a hearty bon voyage. Bon voyage. (laughs) See you next week. 